Hello, friends. This is Josie from Speaking in Church, the podcast you are currently listening to. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about my favorite current thing right now, which is Anchor. Anchor is a free podcasting platform. Um, It's the easiest way to make a podcast. This dummy, yours truly, set it up real quick. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, which, hello, talk about easy. You don't have to be some professional computer person, which is dope. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and literally wherever else you want to put it. Uh, You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which, you know, some of us are just not going to get a million people listening, which is fine. Um, It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you want to make your own podcast about literally anything like the two of us, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie. And I'm Spencer. And we're joined today by the amazing, the talented, the very creative, creative, Ryan Berry. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan Berry. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we uh, talked a little bit about what we wanted to talk about, and uh, we landed on evangelicals and their obsession with the Republican Party, which is, um, I'm so excited, I'm so excited. (laughs) very yeah very long very deep subject to cover for sure so yes so ryan (laughs) uh tell us well you know the context of why we chose this tells your life story your testimony other christian words associated oh my gosh um yeah well i guess (laughs) to tell the like the traditional like the christian story um yeah i was raised born and raised in a conservative christian family uh born in austin texas my dad grew up in the deep south in georgia um so southern baptist through and through and um pretty much lived my whole life in the church didn't question anything you know high school athlete did everything i thought i was supposed to do yeah, FCA, all that. All of it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I ended up going to YWAM actually. Do you know what YWAM is? I, I sure do. And I got a yeah. lot of okay. things to say yeah. about them too. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, right, right after high school, I kind of got burned out because I didn't, you know, I didn't really know what I was, what was supposed to do. And so saw a bunch of people I respected nearby me, you know, being like missionaries and going to YWAM, going to like world race and all these different things. And I was like, you know what? Like, maybe I should do that. And of course I like talked myself into thinking that God was telling me to go to Australia. I'm not sure. I think I might've just really wanted to go to Australia. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I ended up there and actually that was like the first place that my faith ever like was tested or cracked. Um, and I mean, I could go into that for hours on itself, but Uh, Long story short, I came back to the States after that to do college, Um, wanted to go to Point Loma in San Diego. That didn't work out, ended up um, getting a full ride, basically a full ride scholarship to go to the school called West Texas A&M. Went there for my freshman year, hated every minute of it, 
I mean, I had, I made some really good friends, but like the university and like where it was, it's not like really conducive to creativity or anywhere that I wanted to be. And of course my heart was set on California at that point. Um, so I ended up transferring to Point Loma last second parents pulled out, uh, did not like the idea of Point Loma for reasons I still don't fully understand. And, uh, they were like, all right, well, if you want to go to California, you're going to end up at APU. So I ended up at APU. Um, <laughs> and I, I showed up and I didn't really know anything about the school. I had a lot of questions about faith. Um, and I ended up attending APU in 2015 when some things were like really going down with the, with the school and, um, with, you know, the LGBT community on campus and John Wallace and a number of different issues that the school is going through. Um, and so it was really there that like, I guess I pretty much really fell away from the faith completely, um, for a number of reasons, some like just logical or, or, you know, like, um, questions that I had that I couldn't answer about God or about faith. And then, uh, some like honestly political, like I could not, I could not, I kind of came to a point where I could not, I didn't feel comfortable associating myself with the American church, at least the American church anymore. Um, just in daily life, especially like through 2016 and onward, um, the way that that threw a rift in like everything that a lot of us believed in, I think. So, um, yeah. It's so funny that a lot of us went into APU and not super liberal and then came out yeah. pretty liberal. Because yeah. APU is not like, I mean, it's considered to be one of the liberal Christian colleges because we have school dances. Like, yeah. we're in fucking high school. <laughs> and yeah. we, um, we affirm women. That's yeah. liberal, apparently. <laughs> we have a less, um, less rules around genders hanging out together yeah i had a friend who went to a baptist college for like a year and she said that they men and women had <laughs> op, like different sidewalks to walk on yeah <laughs> i couldn't I had, a, I had a friend from i had a friend from church that i went to high school with and uh, he ended up going to liberty oh, and no. that was he was there like in 2015 with the whole jerry Falwell jr thing and like you should give us this contact this... info because i want to talk about that so bad <laughs> I totally, I totally will. It's That'd so be interesting. Funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, like, it's not like, it's like half and half, right? Like, I guess they allow liberal professors to teach you stuff. Yeah. But, um, so I, I guess they got a 50, 50 chance of coming out liberal. <laughs> well, and I think, uh, I think people considered it more liberal too, because, um, there was, you didn't have to sign a faith contract to come to the school when I know mm -hmm. at schools like Liberty and others, like you have to. And so yeah. like, um, like I had <laughs> non-Christian friends and roommates all throughout my time at APU. And I, I know like my friends that went to like, even schools within the same area, like Cal Baptist is like what an hour away. And that yeah. was just not a thing. They didn't have friends at Cal Baptist that weren't Christians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's the same at Point Loma. Like, they require you to sign a whole contract thing. It's most yeah. Christian schools, so. And I think it's because APU, not to get on this APU train, everybody, but I think it's just because APU valued academics a little bit more than these other schools. Like, they wanted to be an academic competitor with, like, yeah. 
you know which isn't a bad thing at all no no it's great for me but uh yeah for the conservative christians i'm sure it was a problem which is what we're talking about today conservative (laughs) evangelicalism full circle um and and line of recent events i think it's very relevant um recently some conservative christians stormed the capitol i can only assume that most of them were you know believers by the jesus save signs and the jesus 2020 flags um yeah so this is what we're talking about friends i hope if you're conservative and we're making fun of you you know laugh with us it's fine or email us that's cool too but ryan we want to hear your perspective you're here on the podcast because you grew up in a conservative background i did not so i don't know what it is to grow up in a conservative home so tell us what that's like now on the other side well uh yeah i guess it depends on how you define conservative because i feel like i feel like especially with like christianity there's like a spectrum right so you've got like your fundamentalists or even worse than your fundamentalists you got like people like westboro baptist church which is obviously like it's not even a church it's a cult Amen. um you know and you have like you have like, you know, mega church Joel steam types where it's just a complete skewing, but it's all prosperity you have. So, you know, you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a large spectrum. So you have everything from that to like a middle, you know, middle or mainstream Christians to affirming Christians and LG, you know, like, like all the way up to that. Um, so I don't know like where my family fell on the spectrum, but growing up, like I certainly like, <laughs> I remember faith was always somehow tied to politics from a very young age. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, I think I was six years old when the Bush v. Gore in the Supreme Court happened, and my parents, I was playing on the, you know, my front deck or something uh, at our house, and my mom ran out and was like, oh, like, Bush won. And I was like, yay. And like my family celebrated and I knew nothing about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, like growing up, like, like faith was always like, we would be at church and they would always talk about politics. Always. Like it would be like, Oh, let's not, it would go beyond just like, let's pray for our elected leaders. You know, it was like, Oh, let's, you know, let's engage politically in, in, you know, knocking on doors for these candidates and, and, you know, sharing material for these candidates and speaking about these candidates at the church. Like, okay. So David Perdue, it was just the, yeah. So I went to, my family went to a church for like two years called Woodstock Baptist church in Woodstock, Georgia, Northwest Atlanta. And David Perdue's brother is, I believe it's his brother. It's either his brother or his cousin, the Perdue family. They're all big names in Georgia. His brother, Sonny Perdue, uh, was the governor of Georgia at the time and attended that church. Um, so, you know, it was always kind of like a, on a political like path, like parallel to your Christianity was like your belief that you had to protect like American values and American beliefs. Um, but like the American values and beliefs that were taught were often either things that would keep the church in political power or like, like, to be honest, like white people in political power. Like a lot of it was tied into white supremacy, the way that your faith was talked about in context of politics. Um, 
but it took a really, really long time for me to recognize that. And a lot of, I really didn't recognize that until I got to APU until I got outside of, you know, the circle that I grew up in, um, and started looking at other, you know, um, ideologies, I guess. Um, and that's not to say that that's how it is all over the South. Like obviously the, um, you know, the, the black church throughout the Southeast is incredible. And like the work that they do and the way that their faith is shown through actions and like beliefs is just overwhelming. But like on mass, I feel like there was kind of this political drive always connected to the church and no matter what church we went to, you know, no matter what denomination, and so when I was at APU, I kind of explored that. And I remember like being intrigued by the idea of nationalism and patriotism in the context of faith. And so, yeah. Yeah, I think that the evangelical American church really forgets its roots in white supremacy, um, especially the Southern Baptist church. Like these are the people that we're like, um, I don't want you to tell me that owning slaves is bad, so we're going to make our own Baptist denomination <laughs> because the Northerners were not having it. Um, and, I mean, even still, you see all these churches are all segregated by race and uh, language even. I grew up in a Hispanic church that was all Hispanic people. And these people would never even like consider going to any church that wasn't predominantly Hispanic actually only Hispanic. My parents would never go to like a Hillsong, for example, because white supremacy reigns so supremely that it's uncomfortable. And even still to this day, I'm deeply uncomfortable in some of those spaces and I'm pretty white. And I mean, it's worse with black people, right? Like you can only go to Hillsong if you're like a cool black kid. If you like dress cool and have the cool sneakers and you're cool. Otherwise you go to the regular black church because black people are not welcome in white spaces and evangelicalism is obsessed with the Republican Party because the Republican Party, in my opinion, is the ones who are like, we're uphold like you said, we're upholding American values. American values are pretty fucked up since the beginning, homie. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. yeah like my... the... oh, sorry, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, in one of my classes at AP, one of my ministry classes, I remember the professor talking about how the Sunday a church hour is the most segregated hour in the United States because, Amen. because people go to the white church, go to the Hispanic church, go to the black church, go to the Korean church. Like mm -hmm. they don't go to these entered, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Interracial churches. Like they just don't, um, for whatever reason. And even exactly what you said, Josie, like a lot of the churches that are like pushing for like this sort of like interracial congregation like some of them are doing it really well and then others it's this yeah we're trying to be interracial because it's cool and hip and the young people are doing it not because it's actually mm -hmm. deeply rooted in their values mm -hmm. yes exactly it's like um like giving the idea of like social justice through the church mm -hmm. i think that's one of the things that drives me crazy like like, oh, like we care about justice so much. And it's like, then you go out and you, in your actions and in your voting, like you vote against justice. Like, but you know, there's always, I remember at APU, especially there was the, always this strain of like, oh, like we're gonna, like we care about social justice. Like we care about these things, but like it always kind of, not, not with everybody, but like it generally to me felt a lot of times like people were, people were trying really hard to have their like 
faith like fit a social justice narrative even though so much of it like often doesn't fit a social justice narrative especially like like what you were saying like americanized christianity you know yeah and in like missionary spaces as well you said that you went to ywam you did the whole missionary shenanigan and from my experience i mean i did don't get me wrong i did it too we all went on all of us went on the trips to do the missionary thing and a lot of the times ap was pretty good in the sense that there was woke people leading the missions and like they're like hey you're not here to change the world all right you're not here to make these people's lives better you're just meeting a specific need you know or whatever right partnering with established people that are already in communities exactly like you're just there you're extra hands in the season where they need extra hands and whether that's good or not we can that's a different podcast but a lot of the times people are only interested in social justice if it's a little black kid in Africa. Like they're not interested in the social justice of the little black kid in Compton, only the ones that they don't really have to deal with in the long run. They don't have their taxes don't have to pay for missionary tourism. Yes. So it's like the type of missionary work that you can put on your social media feed and feel good about. Like, Oh God almighty. Don't even get me started. But like not, not in your own backyard. Right. Yeah. So what was that like? I know YWAM is, and I know specifically YWAM Australia is very charismatic. What was that like now looking back? So there's two parts to it. Okay. So like the, I, I went to this one base to start and I don't want to speak negatively of YWAM as a whole, because I definitely did have like some good experiences there. Um, and there are people that genuinely do like incredible work in YWAM and they really do actually like, attempts to make disciples so i can give them that uh the first base i went to when i like i was three weeks out of high school when i got on a plane to australia like and i went to this really really small base called ywam gold coast and um it was it was uncomfortable like at first so like i should say like i started in a baptist baptist background my parents eventually settled on like presbyterian like evangelical Presbyterian church. Um, I was going to say that's a complete 180, but even. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, they went to Presbyterian because my father's reformed, I think in his theology now or whatever. Um, So it was very, it was very like, like almost liturgical in the way that we, you know, every service was a set time and with a set amount of, you know, there was no charismatic nature to it at all. So I get to the gold coast and like, the very first lesson of like week one of our discipleship training school, which is what every young YWAMer goes through the base leader, you know, made a comment basically saying like, Oh, like if you can't speak in tongues, like you're not a true Christian. And I was like, I'm out of here. Cause like nobody that I grew up with ever spoke in tongues, like mm-hmm. way too conservative for a church for that. And then all of a sudden everybody around me is speaking in tongues and I'm like, Oh, okay. This is incredibly uncomfortable. Um, and there, there were a number of other things like that. Um, but I mean, like a lot of the students that were on the base with, uh, with me were really cool and like helped me talk through a bunch of, a lot of stuff. And when I eventually decided to leave the base, you know, they helped me leave. Um, so I flew down to YWAM Newcastle and as far as like YWAM goes, I can't, I can't really speak higher, more highly of, 
a base than than there than anywhere other base that I was at. Um, just because of the genuine openness, like diversity, um, the size of the base was about 300 people in total, a lot of families, um, a lot of young students from all over the world. I mean, we had like 36 countries on one discipleship training school. So, um, that was cool, but yeah, we had some weeks that were really kind of unbelievable. Um, I do remember specifically, like we had some people get injured and refuse to go to the hospital because they believed that if they just like prayed over their broken foot, that Jesus would heal it. Um, and yeah, so, and like, you know, and like a lot of it was like encouraging, like, Hey, like guys, if we all pray together, Jesus will come and heal, you know, the Holy spirit will come and heal this person in this moment because we have faith. Um, and so that was just incredibly, you know, charismatic. And then, um, I think the thing that really made me start questioning my faith was when people started saying things that were, you know, completely unbiblical, like pure, in my opinion, unbiblical. But like and then you, you know, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, there were, there were quite a few uncomfortable moments in YWAM. There were also some really like great friendships. Like I, it's been seven, almost eight years now. And, you know, I'm still in touch with some people from there. Um, and I still have good debates and discussions with them about faith, but yeah, I think in the, in the, in the moment it was, it was quite, it was quite a mix of like emotions and fear and not really knowing what was going on in life at all. So yeah, I love when the evangelical, uh, charismatic evangelicals tell you that you're not a real Christian if you don't speak in tongues. That's definitely what I grew up with. Um, and I definitely grew up also in, I got hit by a car and it broke or like ripped my ACL or whatever. And, Gosh. you know, you, it's a very routine knee surgery. This surgeon can do it in his fucking sleep, right? Not a big deal <laughs> yeah. for him. And granted, in the Hispanic church, I think a lot of the faith healing is rooted in, you know, not having money or health care because fuck the government. Uh, and Fair point. My parents straight up were like, hey, the, our family friend who I love and adore, he's going to he wants to pray over your knee. So it is healed. And I was like, you know, for like a miracle. And I was like, dad the Lord gave us the miracle of modern medicine. Can I just go get the fucking knee surgery, please? And granted, I have no idea how much, if the knee surgery costs anything. My dad has great insurance, but I don't fucking know. And maybe he just didn't want to pay. But also, come on, Dad. It's, this shit's easy, please. <laughs> I did get the knee surgery. I, um, well, I did con not consent, and they respected that, so just FYI. But, yeah, Spencer, you didn't grow up in the church like we did you as yeah. most of you know you converted converted as a teenager you found christ as a teenager yeah um so when when ryan mentioned um 
Bor- like Al Gore and Bush, um, my first like recollection of politics is actually from that election because my parents worked in restaurants. And so my mom got home from uh, work and took her three young kids to the local elementary school and waited in line to vote for Al Gore. And like hey. to, to this day, that's like my model of like voting is important. Like you should care about that because my mom who, and I, given at the time I was, my mom was like 25. So she was our age with three kids. Like, and she had worked all day long, like had every excuse in the book to not do it. And people would have been like, oh yeah, we understand, but it was important to her. And, um, that's just something that was ingrained to me. And then flash forward to now I'm a teenager. Um, when Barack Obama ran for president, the first time I was in, um, eighth grade, ninth grade. I remember talking about it in, in eighth grade. So yeah, I think that was when like the big like actual election happened and at that point we were going to church i would i would have considered myself a christian at that point and i remember having a conversation with another girl in the youth group and um i was at her house and it came up you know her parents were talking about voting because her parents were like poll workers and they had a sign in their um in their front yard like a john mccain sign and she was like, yeah, like my parents are poll workers and they've actually met John McCain. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And she's like, yeah, like, she's like, it's so cool that they're going to vote for him. And he's from Arizona. And I was like, yeah, that is cool. I was like, my mom's going to vote for Obama. Like he could be our first black president. That's really cool. And my friend was just instantly like, your mom isn't going to vote for John McCain or your parents. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think so. Like, again, it was just something of like, I don't even know if my mom really did vote for Obama. It was just something we talked about a lot. And as like, I assumed like, oh yeah, like this is so cool. He could be our first black president. And I'll never forget this girl being like, well, you can't be a Christian if you're not a Republican. And again, we're in eighth grade, like we're 12 years old. And I was just like, what? Like that just blew my mind. And like throughout um, the time, like, I think a few years before that is when Arizona voted on gay marriage. I'm pretty sure it was before Obama ran. I want to say it was like, uh, you know, just one of those like state elections a couple years before. And I remember like watching Ellen, like I loved her at the time. And I was like crying because I was telling my mom, like, it's not fair that we live somewhere that people like Ellen can't get married. And I just remember my mom being like, there's more important things than who gets married. Like we should just vote for them to be married because like, why does it matter to anybody Uh, else? And I remember being like you're right mom like why does it matter to anybody else like it shouldn't matter and as I like became a Christian and like formed my own beliefs like that was one thing that even like like because for a while when I had first converted like I was sold on the whole like oh my gosh like being gay is a sin but even then I still went back to like but why does it matter like how does it change my life if they want to get married you know what I mean um and so yeah like as time goes on and going to APU and you know then you become of age to vote and you want to be more involved in politics like it was really hard to start peeling away um what Ryan said like parts of my faith that didn't support things that I believed in and wanting to know why they didn't support that and realizing that it wasn't my faith that didn't support it it was the the nationalism that was inherent in the church that I was raised in and you know the church having an American flag and the Christian flag like on the pulpit like to me like now in retrospect I'm like that is so weird like just so weird to me you really yeah. don't see that in other countries. Yeah, no, exactly. that's weird. Like you, you don't, don't because have... like 
because like the idea is like you're like christ is supposed to come first like give to god what is god's and caesar what is caesar's yes i love that like you've got to like 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 your faith is supposed to supersede your nationality your race your like everything because like 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 in the in like the baseline christian faith like all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god right Mm -hmm. so like your like nationalism it it doesn't like it should never come come like before other people or before like god and i i just i think that's why i wanted to like talk because it's like well why is that like how and like i think i have a decent idea because of like years of thinking and studying about it but like i want i love hearing other perspectives like why do why is there that like that stream of thought that's like okay if you are a christian in america then you're automatically a republican yeah is it, it's not always like that right like in my growing up in my parents church when i was a kid I mean, we had nights where, like, we had these talent festivals at our church where we somebody would sing the national anthem. It was usually me, actually, but, you know, because I am was a really good childhood singer. But then we would sing everybody else's country's national anthem, and politics was never really discussed because it didn't really matter. And my parents were not Republicans because just... I mean, my dad had the foresight to be like, these people do not have my best interests at heart as an immigrant, as an undocumented immigrant. So I don't like them. Um, and I mean, my dad wasn't, this is how fucked up the election or the uh, immigration system is. My dad wasn't able to vote for the first time. He couldn't become a citizen after being here. He came here at 19 years old in the eighties, late seventies. He wasn't able to vote. And so he was able to cast a vote for Hillary Clinton. And he had spent all that time, and why? Republicans. Let me tell you that first and foremost. <laughs> um, and it was just never, I never grew up with this idea that I have to be Republican because I'm a Christian. I had a little conservative phase in high school because I had a really indoctrinating uh, AP US history teacher. But I was really knocked out of me pretty quickly when I went to college and people were like, Josie, do you understand what you're saying? I was like, I don't. <laughs> and now I do. <laughs> I'm, I'm really not a Republican. I really don't give a shit about Republican issues. <laughs> so it's funny that people assume that, right? That you, it's the automatic assumption of white evangelicals that you have to be Republican to be a Christian because that does not exist in my personal experience of being Hispanic up until recently anyways. And I think too, like I... At least I haven't, like, I'm sure some liberals believe this, but I've never met a liberal that thinks you have to be a liberal to be a Christian. No. And, and here's the thing, like, honestly, like, it's true. Like Jesus wouldn't be a part of any party because both parties have terrible interests and both parties. I'm sure like, there's probably, I mean, there is, there's good things about both parties. If you really get down to the nitty gritty of like what people believe, you know? And so that's why, again, I think that's just exactly what you said. It's so crazy that there's this assumption of like, well, you have to be a Republican or even not that you have to be a Republican, but people that aren't Christians, when they find out you are Christian, one of their first like questions is, well, are you a Republican? Like, are you a conservative? Like, it's it's ingrained so deeply in our culture that even people outside of the church have that assumption about us and why where did it come from i think it comes yeah, from the fucking 50s but anyway sorry ryan <laughs> no i think you're right i think you, you're you know like i mean 
in thinking about this, like I, I haven't thought enough about like how Christianity, I think, the, okay. One thing that was really great at APU that we had to read is we had to read this, this book. Oh my gosh. I have it somewhere. Reading the Bible from the margins. Uh, yes. 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 <laughs> I love that book. Yeah. It was, was incredible. Like, yeah. It's the, it's the most yeah, radical book so. at APU. So. Yeah. 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 Um, what was the theologian's name? Oh, I don't He's know. He's an African-American theologian. He's very, very famous. Look it up oh right my now. gosh. Yeah. Google yeah, that shit. Um, uh, that was incredible because like it, 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 if you grow up in in the uh, like in the privileged white church like you view like the world in such a different way than you would if you were like in a black church you know or like you said like in a, in a hispanic church or um and depending on like like your experiences in life and where you find that church community is also gonna like regionally going to be a big factor um yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know, like, is it, sorry, go ahead. Oh, the author is um, Miguel de la Torre. Oh, yeah, okay. he was Hispanic, yeah, right, I remember. Okay, 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 okay. I mean, yeah. Afro-Latino, I don't know. <laughs> there, was, there was one other person, too. Give me one second, I can find this. <laughs> yeah, go find it. I'm trying to think, um, yeah, that one was, like, again, like, one of those things that you're, like, when you're... It's again, it's just a total example of when you're not exposed to this sort of other side of the argument, you can never comprehend. Or you, when people would say something outlandish or like what you would think is outlandish, you would be like, oh my gosh. But then once you read like this in depth ex explanation of something, you're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And not even in the sense of it makes a lot of sense, so I'm going to believe it, but it makes a lot of sense that you can at least have a conversation about why you disagree or why you do agree instead of just being like, oh, no thanks, you know? Yeah. What What's the book, Ryan? You just found it. So uh, it's uh, the author is James H. Cohn, and the book is God of the Oppressed. Yes! Oh, yeah. It was, uh, like, if, incredible. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, he also wrote The Cross and the Lynching Tree. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, that is so. another. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> so, like, yeah. TC, like, hey, yeah. So, APU, like, it, we did get some really good insights there, you know, into into different things. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I really, I guess, I really had a hard time, like, especially with this election, oh. yeah, like, like rectifying, like, the the. Okay, so, like, I guess to give a little context, my family, um, they consider themselves, my parents at least, they consider themselves libertarians. Um, and I remember, uh, to show you where they used to be on the political spectrum. I remember in eighth grade, they made me go around with them and hand out literature to people's doorsteps for Ron Paul. You know who he is. Yeah. Ron, Rand, Rand Paul's father, who is even crazier. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, but over the years they've, they've very gotten very, very quiet about, uh, about politics and about just what's going on in the world in general um not just politics but like the way of the world the um current of society you know besides like football and <laughs> my mom's yeah my mom is an interior designer so she you know she's very into all that um but their their view their worldview has now become like basically we're living in the end times which is yeah. like this thing that I get from like so many Christians now is, yeah. and, and, and I, and I feel like, so I feel like there's a couple of things. It's like the, there's like the, the, the like justification of like voting for someone like Trump so heinous. 
the justification of like, okay, there's you know, there are a few single issues that the you know Christian Church generally votes on, and then there's like the justification of like, oh, well, I'm disconnecting from the world and I don't really care about politics because things are so bad and Jesus is coming back soon anyway. Um, yeah, my parents weird. say that all the time. I, I actually have really another topic for another podcast, everybody, just think about it if you want to come. Um, I had such severe rapture anxiety as a kid. I can't even tell you. Oh my gosh. Did you like, watch Left Behind as a kid? Oh my God. Like yes. <laughs> yeah. This, is, the, this the, is an example of what I skipped. <laughs> even like, I remember watching, what was it? The day after tomorrow and think, and then seeing like, noticing all the shit that happens in the world after that. And I was like, that was the catalyst to the end of the world. Oh my God. But also I thought like, Oh, nobody knows when the end, the end of the world is going to be. So maybe if I just, if I think about it and if I think it's going to end today, then it's not going to end today. Like I thought I had this whole weight on my okay. shoulders. That is something that I remember thinking about, like in high school of, I didn't see left behind or anything, but like whenever we like our youth group would all of a sudden, like read the book of revelation, I exactly like you, Josie, I was like, well, the Bible says that nobody knows. So if I keep saying in my head, it's going to happen tonight or tomorrow, then it really won't happen. So. Exactly. And I was like, what the fuck? Anyways. Yeah. I just used to have this nightmare where I would wake up and everyone in my family would be raptured, but me. Yes. And and I'd have to like fend for myself, you know, So sad. like, like, like I would have this very visceral dream where I'd run into my parents' room and like, there would just be clothes where they're in their bed. The clothes, the plastic yeah. clothes. Oh my <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, I think it's a very, like, it's, it's like a, it's a thing I'm starting to hear more and more from Christians. Like I, I had a friend like two, two days ago with that craziness at the Capitol and you know, I should say this person's not really my friend anymore because of this like, fight that we just had. And I feel, I don't really feel bad about that because I no. don't really want to be friends with people who support insurrection. Um, no, you know, <laughs> so you don't have to justify that. That's fine. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, but I mean, I've been holding on for so long with this person because like, I, I don't know, like I just felt like I could break through to them and it was like, they justified this <clears throat> horrible, horrible thing that happened where white nationalists stormed the US Capitol by being like, okay, like it doesn't really matter because the end of the world is upon us anyway. And like there's gonna be a civil war in the US and like it's gonna fall and then that'll be the fourth nation that falls. But it's like this, no. and like, you know, when I first started hearing it, you know, growing up or even like a few years ago when I started hearing it more and more, and, younger and younger circles, different circles that I wouldn't, you know, normally hear that kind of talk in. Um, it's, it's, it's like almost coinciding with like their political ideology, like, like, okay, like we're holding on because this is like the last thing before the earth turns into chaos and like, you know, Jesus yeah. comes back. It's, so. it's not even just a political ideology. It's a theology that's damaging and rooted in privilege because things like this, yes. unfortunately happen all over the world. Mm, and yeah. when this happens in an underdeveloped country, you never hear white Christians saying it's the end of the world, especially yeah, when exactly. America causes hear, it. Yes. You never, uh, and not even just white Christians, because unfortunately there are non-white Christians, especially in the evangelical circles that are saying this. And when this happens in underdeveloped countries or even 
other countries all over the world, you never hear things like this. Why wouldn't what's happening in Hong Kong be a sign of the end times? You know, like so much of it is I rooted, think, yeah, it's, a- it's rooted in this privilege of America is God's chosen. Like God bless America. Like, you know, God bless the whole world. Like there's so many terrible things that happen yeah. that if you want to get into this signs of the end times, well, then this has been happening for centuries and you just don't well, want yeah. attention. Yeah. If you study church history, I mean, like it, like there were so many times throughout the history of the church where like people would point to whatever was happening and being like, Oh, it's a sign of the end times. Jesus is coming back. Like whatever tragedy was happening or whatever event yeah. was happening. But you're so right. Like there's always, always horrible, tragic things going on all over the world. at any given moment countries being overthrown, you know, like Josie said, a lot of it by the U.S. Mm-hmm. and all of our stuff through Central America, like what our country mm-hmm. did down there. Yes. You know, so masked as freedom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that was yeah. So <laughs> it's pervasive, and I but like I can't pinpoint why because like if you dig into the actual text of Christianity, like of like the Bible and read mo- a lot of it in context i still have issues with a lot, of, a lot of the bible that i don't know how to rectify but what i do know is like what i've read about jesus you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how he lived and it runs completely counter to uh, honestly what both like a lot of both parties say but definitely like the people like it runs counter to everything that people who use christianity as a prop for power mm-hmm. like um yep like like it run like every and it, and it i just i i still like i still when i think about it i still don't understand how people who read the bible like every day like my you know like some of my extended family who go to church every sunday who talk about love who talk about you know the teachings of jesus on the regular and then they support somebody like like trump or like you know david Perdue or kelly leffler or any of these people you know who have not only just like hurt the american people for their own gain but like like ridden on the back of a white supremacist like wave to hold on to power mm-hmm. and it's like the <laughs> it, it, it's like the bible is so clear like to serve others mm-hmm. like so clear and yet like the message in american christianity is almost always self-serving Oh, I, I should say, I should say white American Christianity. I, yep. I don't mean like to lump it all together, but in white American Christianity, and at least in my experience, it always feels incredibly self-serving. Yeah. And I think it's just because white American evangelicalism is so bought into the notion of white supremacy and they're so brainwashed into thinking that that's the only way to succeed. That's the only way to live a true Christian life because they don't read the Bible from the margins, like the book we were talking about. They don't have, they weren't taught, they haven't seen the amount of empathy and the amount of love that it takes to look at something from somebody else's point of view. And honestly, I don't know how to rectify that when it's so ingrained in the white evangelical church. Like Spencer and I, sometimes we disagree on this, but I'm like, burn the whole shit down, burn it all down. You can't fix it. Fuck it. And Spencer's on the other end. She's like, you can fix it from the inside. It's cool. Like you can do it, blah, blah, blah. I'm not that it's cool, but, and yeah, like the glo- people are like, Oh, I'm anti-globalism, whatever the fuck that means. But it's like, Jesus didn't 
tell you to come save Americans. They didn't tell you to come convert people to white supremacy. He told you to go love your neighbor, all of yeah. them, everybody in the whole fucking world. And politics is a separate issue. If you want to be fiscally conservative, that's your deal. If you want to do not be fiscally conservative, that's your deal. But your goal, your primary goal as a Christian should be to love God and love your neighbor. That's the whole text. Yeah, that's that's all, all it boils down to, you know. I, I yeah, I don't know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, no. So finish your thought because I was going to ask a question. Hmm. I lost my train of thought. Sorry. Go, sorry. go right ahead. Ask that question. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Go ahead. Okay, so so thinking <laughs> thinking about this of like, um, I want I want us to think about these two election seasons. So the 2016 election, the 2020 election, um, not including what happened at the Capitol, because if we include that, then 2020 was obviously worse. But I want to talk about like, like personal experiences. Was 2016 a harder wake up call or was 2020 a harder wake up call? Um, And kind of just a preference, like 2020 was undeniably so hard for me, but 2016 was hard because it unearthed things about family and friends that I just never, I never thought possible. Mm -hmm. And I had a really hard experience with my roommate at APU being a very loud public Trump supporter. um, While me and our two roommates who happened to be women of color had to live with her and had to live with very, just one of the, honestly, one of the most hardest and darkest season of my life. Mm Mm-hmm. And so um, for me, 2016 was harder because of the wake up. Obviously, 2020 was still devastating. But for you guys, I want you to each answer which one was harder for you personally and why. Mm. You want to go first, Ryan? (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I'll take it. Um, Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, for me personally, like experiences wise, Mm -hmm. I think 2020 was definitely more difficult, like, financially and like life goals okay. wise yeah. Um, Pandemic. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're ta- <laughs> if you're talking like in like in context of like like i think relationally like people, relationally i think 2016 hurt a little less and i think the reason why is most of the people in my life that were that were very outwardly supportive of trump and his particular brand of right-wing nationalism um they were people in my life that i that i wasn't that i was already not very close to because i think for for the, at least the people in, in georgia that are very loud about politics there's kind of a keep your mouth shut and smile at your neighbor kind of vibe down there. And you don't, you don't really talk about it. You don't share it with other families. Everybody's nice to everybody. So the the people in my life that were loud about it, they were already loud about, you know, like right-wing politics. And um, so 2020 really, really hurt because I really, I genuinely thought that the death of hundreds of thousands of our country, men and women and people, country people are like, would shake, would shake the foundation of, of people's belief enough for, for the veil to drop. I really, I really truly thought that like my family 
would see the death and destruction caused by a selfish person's ego and a number of senators and congressmen willing to basically be bootlickers for future political gain and let their countrymen die in droves. I mean, like we're, we're having more people die a day now than nine 11 and we're not talking about it. Yeah. And I think for me to look at some of my family that was very, very quiet about Trump very much in the, Oh, we don't like Trump, but we hold our nose and vote for him camp. The people where I really, really tried to like reach out to and be like, like, this is, this is, this cannot be okay. Like we have to change the narrative here and we have to like, you have to change what you and, and it, it, it didn't do it in a lot of cases. You know, I have people that I truly deeply respected that I had to, I had to let go of, you know, that I had to be like, I can't, I can't be engaged with this person anymore. Uh, you know, and, and it, and it just seems to keep getting worse. Like, but you know, so like you, you lose, I, it's 2016. It was like very quiet on the front, I guess, back home. Yeah, I remember APU was like very solemn the day after. Mm. I remember watching it. I remember watching the election results and like everybody that I was watching it with was, we were terribly freaked out, you know? And, mm. but yeah, 2020 just, it was just the, the onslaught of the daily, like, just the, the 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 horrific nature of what was going on and 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 watching people that I thought genuinely cared not care mm-hmm. yeah yeah Whew. yeah I mean for me 2016 hit me like a ton of bricks and probably more so because it was the first year that my dad was able to vote we had just been granted his citizenship mm-hmm. after that's a whole different podcast so i have to have my dad on so we can tell that story but my dad and i had been fighting for that green card first of all for a long time and then once he got a citizenship and was able to vote for whoever he wanted to vote for um we happen to both be, you know, liberal. I mean, he's not that liberal because he's still a Christian, but, you know, liberal in politics. Um, and we were, I was at APU, and APU's half and half, so you got, you know, the assholes being all Trumpy or whatever. And just the one-issue conservatives, as most of them are, I would assume. And I was very vocal at APU. And I remember you getting into some <laughs> fights on Facebook. Yeah, I, I was overheard uh, at APU was going mm-hmm. off. Oh, yeah, I overheard at APU. In our, uh, <laughs> we had a school-wide Facebook group where you like called shit out. You said it was funny. It was not funny. It was whatever. And the moderators were crap, but <laughs> whoever they were. <laughs> But, they had uh, a rough time that year. They really did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I was not letting any of those little white boys, because there were always little white boys, get away with anything. And I did get yeah. in quite a bit of trouble at APU over shit like that um, with people who did not like a bold woman talking about shit. Y'all, I just want to say how ironic this is, because I think out of all of us, I can't be for sure about Ryan, but definitely out of me and Josie, she was the most involved at APU, yet she definitely <laughs> got in the most trouble, too. Oh, I got into so much fucking trouble, but I was so involved. I was such a good little APU person, but like a rebel the whole time. And you're um, an alpha leader too, right? Oh yeah. You never, yeah. <laughs> you never knew Josie. You never knew Josie was in one of the offices because she was doing something good or doing something bad. Yeah. 
Yes, uh, for those of you who don't know, an alpha leader is the is a sophomore person who uh, leads a group of freshmen for 10 weeks and introduces them to the APU culture, and I radicalized those children. I got all the bad kids. I love you all if you listen, but I got all the bad kids. Um, but I uh, 2016 was rough because I had to deal with a bunch of little white kids. Um, but also, oh, my God, it was appalling the one of the first things that trump says was that mexicans were rapists and terrible people and anybody who crossed the border was that and i was like all of my family crossed that fucking border and to see people justify that and ignore that i knew that was the beginning of the end i saw the downfall i um am a realist with a twinge of pessimism I saw it all going to shit. And then he made fun of the disabled person and, um, or the differently abled person. And he kept going down and down and disrespect the disrespect of woman that is so known as Donald Trump. I don't understand why people think that's a fucking, he, that's a known thing that he was his playboy. It's not even a question. Yes, yeah. exactly. I mean, what is, you know, is Melania is his third wife. Something like that. Something um, like that. Yeah. And, I remember it being so heavy and people knew I was really outspoken. And the day after the election, I remember walking into the office. I worked for the center for student action, which is the mission office. Um, I only worked for the liberal offices. The other one was our, our office. I only worked for the libs. <laughs> and I remember walking in and everybody was just so bummed. Even people that I knew voted for Trump, they were like reluctant voters in that office. And people were hugging me and we all cried and i'm not much of a crier but when you see the man who disrespect first and foremost disrespected your entire people and then disrespected women and i kept going and going and going and i could empathize because i have people that i love on all these little categories that were disrespected and seeing him win the election i was like we're fucked this is it i saw this whole progress in my brain from 2016 day one to the coup i saw it all in my head i knew this is all possible and then thinking my this is the first election that my dad could vote for he voted for hillary clinton and this is the one that meant the most for our people this is the one that dictated how we were going to be treated for the next four to eight years and sure enough mexicans were disrespected to an exponential extent more so than before right which is ironic because we keep this all his latin people keep this fucking country going right anyways um and so it's so emotional for me and i remember attending this like vigil at apu because we had a lot of fucking vigils at apu i attended one just to like see what was going on and it was like just processing the election and some kid said something like we just got to pray, you guys. Like, I understand that this is hard for some people, but, you know, God is good and Jesus reigns. And in the end, it's all about the kingdom and heaven and blah, blah, blah. And I was so upset about that. And I, and I hadn't planned on standing up and saying anything because, you know, little Josie was already well known for saying shit. But I stood up and I was like, I don't want to hear anybody else tell me that God is good and that the kingdom will reign at the end of the day because the kingdom is here now. And right now people are hurting and disrespecting that hurt is not Christ-like. And people, the whole thing shifted after that because people were like, oh yeah, like we're a bunch of white kids, but some of us don't have the luxury of thinking about, Oh, it'll be good in the end, I guess, because some of us are affected here and now, and our family members are affected here and now. And we don't have 
time to wait for heaven to come to earth. You're supposed to do that through your vote. This is the whole fucking point, right? Of being a Christian is to bring the kingdom to earth for the sake of the kingdom later, right? Um, and so that was, 2016 was harder because it was the beginning of my deconstruction. That was the end for me, for white evangelical church. It was, and then, I mean, 2020, I saw it coming. I knew that if you won, shit was gonna, I was just gonna keep fighting. And if he lost, I still have to fucking keep fighting. It's all the same. Like my dad, I remember in 2016, I was like so upset. And my dad is cool because he's, been disrespected and disenfranchised and marginalized his whole existence in America. And he said, you know what, Josie, they've never wanted us here, but we're still fucking here. I mean, he doesn't curse, but he said, he said that like, I've never been welcome. And yet here I am, have a good job. I'm finally a citizen. We beat the system and we're going to continue to fight. So other people can beat the system. And that's all I've ever thought about. And even in 2020, I thought, whatever fucking happens, I'm going to advocate. I'm going to be on social media. I'm going to be fucking annoying. I'm going to call people out on their bullshit. But whatever happens, the fight keeps going. So that was my whole mentality. So, yeah, I guess that's why 2016 was just like the beginning of the end. <laughs> yeah. Josie Sandy. I, I definitely like, and I definitely understand like what Ryan's talking about because, mm-hmm. um, you know, one, a positive thing for me of having people I care about, people in my family and my friends that had previously voted for Trump, like come out and say like, that was a wrong choice and publicly acknowledge it. Like that was huge. And then for, to see people that had voted for him attending Black Lives Matters protests and publicly advocating that you shouldn't vote for him. Like we made a mistake. Like it's okay to admit that you made a mistake. Nobody's going to be mad because they Mm -hmm. want you to just move forward, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But then on the other token, exactly what Ryan said of so many people like impacted by this pandemic through death and even Mm -hmm. just being sickness and residual uh, things like long-term side effects and, um economic like hardships across the board like i i thought it would stir more in people and that was heartbreakingly unfortunate to see that it didn't yeah it's um yeah hmm. yeah it was just something yeah it's disappointing (laughs) i mean what do you fucking say you know yeah people don't care yeah i i did have i did like spencer like you were saying like you you got to see people that voted for trump like turn around mm-hmm. and i gotta say like i i didn't see that as much. i only saw really two people mm-hmm. that i really knew and and both of them were non-christians mm-hmm. you know they like voted for trump but then like some sort of like morality kicked in and they're like this isn't like this isn't okay this isn't right um <clears throat> so that's why I'm always curious because like I know this is a free and open place I'm not really a Christian anymore I haven't been to church in I mean besides I went to church like once in September with my family in Georgia which was terrifying because like oh people were wearing masks and it was yeah. unbelievable yeah it was um, and I went to I went to Christmas Eve service with my girlfriend and her family last year but it was like the Catholic mass mm-hmm. and I think I haven't been to church in over two years but I, I i am always curious about people who are progressive who 
are you know affirming to people of to people of color to LGBT community, mm-hmm. churches that try to create safe spaces. I'm always interested in how, how people explain first how how you came to that um, you know conclusion in your life and and how you found a church that was like that. And second, like how do you even start to explain that to your family? And do you just constantly get in theological <laughs> arguments, just uh, constantly about it, or like uh, people Spencer, just throwing Bible verses at you? Okay, tell so, how you found our church. Well, I'm gonna. I'll start more towards the beginning of you know because I I converted to Christianity. Um, I already sort of had this liberal base. There was like in the beginning where I was like sold out on this conservative Christianity. Um, We recorded an episode last night that'll come out um, next week. And I did. uh, So when you're listening to this, if you listen to the last episode, I did talk about um, having a friend come out when I was like newly a Christian and not handling it well, because very much being like, Oh my God, you're going to go to hell. Like, aren't you worried about that? Like blah, blah, blah. And literally right after that happened because rightfully so that friend dropped me and feeling so incredibly guilty and not guilty that like oh like they're not my friend guilty because I feel like I had I'd failed the gospel I'd failed to portray the love of Christ and it just like snapped in my head and within the next year I had multiple friends come out to me in high school and just choosing to be like that's cool like you're still welcome here you're welcome in my life my family they were open with my family my family loved them all the same um I brought them to church and like you know sometimes things would happen in youth group or one of them went to church camp with me and things would happen and I would be like I just hope you know like that's not how I feel like that's that's not what I believe. Um, and then going to APU, I, uh, because the church I came in, I grew up from, um, didn't allow women to be pastors. Me going to APU was almost like the start of this deconstruction because I fought against it of them being like, Oh my God, like you can't do that. And I'm like, yeah, I can. Bye. <laughs> um, and so I went to APU and my parents were so supportive of it. I actually didn't want to go to APU. My mom made me apply there. And um, to this day, they'll say it's one of the best things they ever did. Um, obviously, I came out more liberal than they thought I would, <laughs> but um, they were always very supportive. And um, yeah, throughout it, um, more deconstruction, ha- more deconstruction happening of even um, first being affirming of just like gay and lesbian, bisexual, to then be affirming of trans- transgender, transgender, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, queer people, the whole spectrum. Um, yeah kind of like i think people think it's silly but my mom and i have theological conversations very regularly very regularly we break down bible verses i tell her about this theologian i read or this article this book like it's just normal conversation for us i know that's not for everybody i recognize i have this very deep privilege of and honestly i just have a really great i have a really great mom where um we disagree frequently um but she never withholds love and i see jesus in her and i know a lot of people unfortunately especially my lgbtq friends some of them are not that privileged um and so yeah i have a lot of those conversations with if people walked into my mom and i's conversations or text messages they'd be like what the frick how do you even have energy for this but i thrive off of that um, and how we found our church, uh, for a long time, Twitter was like my realm of secrecy. It's where I could follow super liberal pastors and thinkers and people that were deconstructing and I could engage with them and nobody knew because it wasn't like Instagram where I had everybody in my family and all my friends following me. Like I kept my Twitter very much on the down low. Like if I knew somebody 
was not going to be like ratting on me for like things that I'd like tweeted or like seen, then I would be like, Oh yeah, I'll follow you. And long story short, I had been following, um, people from like the liturgist podcast for a while and um this pastor her name came up and i found out her church was 15 minutes from where josie and i live and we went there and we fell in love and we've been there ever since so yeah yeah and our church is um very affirming and i mean we both spencer and i and even my partner also named brian we had a (laughs) We sat in this church and Ryan grew up Mormon. So he didn't really have a whole lot of context for, you know, my husband came with us too. And he grew up Lutheran. So a Mormon, uh, uh, a charismatic, charismatic, (laughs) uh, like my church, my church was a first Christian church, which is like a reformed church, but they claim to be non-denominational. Um, and then a Lutheran, they go to, they go to this United Methodist church. That's, lgbtq affirming and we're sitting there and it's just like spencer cried i shed a little bit of a tear after but it was just like this feeling of like oh my god like the safety the immense love in the room the intergenerationality and it's predominantly white but like to have all these old white people sitting in the pews where the worship pastor is obviously also part of the lgbtqa plus community and you can clearly tell that there are elderly queer people Mm -hmm. like you can clearly tell that they've been devoted to each other for probably decades Mm -hmm. and it is predominantly white but there are there are other races that are represented and because it's in orange county i give it a little credit orange county is unfortunately very very white Mm -hmm. so the fact that there even is people of different races there um i know i am very emotional and you know some people would say oh you're like in tune with the spirit very cheesy but um the way i describe it of being like i had never doggo (laughs) the dog wants you sorry um but basically i had never felt the presence of the holy spirit that heavily in years Mm -hmm. in so long and to very much have this sort of experience of you know we were leaving and i told josie i was like yeah like oh we'll talk to you later whatever she's all casual about it yeah (laughs) i sent her i sent her a text message later that day and i was like i know that was kind of weird and i don't know if you and ryan were into it but i'm gonna go back and she was like yes like we loved it Mm -hmm. and what she didn't see is um I had like a full on emotional breakdown in the car, like sobbing. Like I had to pull over and let my husband drive because I just couldn't get over of something I had longed for and had searched for that. I was told by so many that you'll never be able to find that. Um, yeah. And like, and it's kind of funny because my husband, he was kind of taken aback. Like he was like, at first, like he told me, he was like, that was really weird. Like, did you like that? Are we going to go back? And I like was heartbroken because I was like, Oh no, like what, what if he doesn't want to go back? And once he saw like this outpour and this reckoning of like, Oh, like this is something deep. Like this is some deep seated that we need to explore. Um, and you know, my husband wouldn't consider himself not a Christian, but not really a Christian either. He's kind of in this agnostic of he kind of what you said, Ryan, like he looks at Jesus and sees like his life and like can very much be like, yeah, like there's great things here, um, but has other parts of the Bible that are really hard to rectify. Mm-hmm. But we've been at the church ever since and he does liturgy with me um, when it's our turn and he actually enjoys it. Like he's excited to do it. And yeah, it's just something within us that's just been awakened of 
there's a place for us mm -hmm. in all of his questioning and all of my like hurt that needs to be healed there's a place for us and it's really truly beautiful yeah because we don't our church is full of a lot of intellectual people it's actually really funny there's a lot of like doctors and fbi people and really fancy like big people with big jobs and really intimidated um but yeah they're like we have this thing called theology on tap where you meet up it used to be at a brewery, but obviously now it's online and you drink your beer and you talk about theology and you talk about your theological differences and how you're different, but there's no like fighting. You just like having this intellectual conversation about your beliefs and mm -hmm. you go away believing different things and that's fine. There's no like beef. There's no weirdness. Yeah. It's just like an open forum kind of space. And I think for Spencer and I, the only, the only reason why I even attend a church is because this church exists and I fucking work for the church. I'm stressed <laughs> out over this job, but I love the work because I love the church. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's how we kind of did it. Cause only because this church exists. Otherwise, I don't know if either of us would really be at a church or satisfied at a church anyways. Yeah. I, yeah. I would be at a church, but it would be very unsatisfied. Yeah. Sure. So what, what's the, what is the structure like? And I'm, I'm just curious, like how it's very liturgical. How's the structure? Yeah. It's a Methodist Meaning church. Like, okay. Let me tell you, let me tell you the order of worship <laughs> here. Okay. <laughs> so you uh, have it. the announcements, obviously. Um, I edit the videos every week. So I know this order pretty well, hopefully off the top of my head. You uh, have the announcements and then you have the call to worship. So it's like a call and response type of deal. And then you have the first worship song and then somebody, a liturgist reads the scriptures and then for the day, and then you have the sermon and then you have another song and usually you have like the offertory or whatever, but not obviously online. And then you have, did I say the last song already? The last song. And then you have the benediction and the doxology, which is like the goodbye song. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very liturgical, but it's also, the sermon is not like a Catholic sermon where it's very dry. She's a very good speaker. Um, and there is a single pastor. Yes. So one she's, person. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty small congregation and she's, a woman pastor wow a reverend you know that that's funny that y'all y'all mentioned that because um of all the conservatism of the churches that i grew up in we were always in churches where they had like women in positions of like authority or power in the church oh yeah whether that be like pastors or elders or things <laughs> like that it was so like that was like always like a strange thing because I always had like friends that were like, wait, there's a woman pastor at your church. And I would be like, yes. And then like getting to APU and finding out that that was like APU was one of the only places, you know, in the, in the country and in Christian universities that was, you know, women speak and preach. It was like, wow, really? Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so it's interesting to think about evangelicals yeah. and Republicans and how it all kind of <laughs> plays out or doesn't play out for some of us and mm -hmm. the expectations yeah. thereof. Um, and obviously, we could talk about this for fucking ever, but uh, oh, sure. yeah, it's a it's an ongoing conversation for sure, Ryan. And obviously, we'd love to sure. have you back if another coup oh, happens. Yeah. You're on. <laughs> I mean, and, and I I intentionally didn't bring it up because I know like it's a whole topic in itself. Of but even just like 
the biggest thing for Christians, the pro-life issue. Like, yeah, we, I, oh yeah, I like, love, yeah, like, I want to take time and dive into that. So if you want to join us for that, maybe we can get a couple Absolutely. of people. Like, I would love to really just have this in-depth sure. view of it. Yes. But, yeah. uh, yeah, so you're definitely coming back, Ryan. But how can the people find you? Let them know. Where are you at? How can they contact you? If you want them to. If not, just say, don't fucking bother me. <laughs> um, contact for what? Like, I mean. I don't know. Do you want Instagram followers? I don't think they Yeah, they liked what you said. They want to follow you on Instagram. <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. It's uh, at Ryan underscore Berry. That's Berry, B-E-R-R-Y, like the fruit, two, three um that's my instagram i don't really use anything else facebook's a swamp of misinformation and amen hatred, so i'm off of there <laughs> um i mean not that instagram isn't run by the same company but it seems to be a little more mellow these days so yeah it's all about the people that use it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> But, so uh, yeah, but I thank you for having me. It was it was a blast. So I'll come back on at some point. Loved it. This is a great. Company. It went a little long, but fuck it. You're listening. If you're here, you're <laughs> listening. So you loved it too. Yeah, thank you for listening. So. Yeah, Spencer. <laughs> where can they find us? Uh, they can find us at Speaking in Church on Instagram, at Speaking Church on Twitter. And if y'all want to email us, want to be on the podcast, contact us at Speaking in Church at Gmail dot com. Yeah, we accept topic ideas if you want to be on, or if you don't want to be on, you can just send us ideas. If you hate us, you can tell us, and we'll I'll talk shit back to you because I'm not very <laughs> sensitive. Um, yeah, I'm on Instagram at Josie Takes the World, and Spencer is on Spencer Rose, uh, so you can find us individually there and harass us or love us, whatever you want. But other than that, friends, thank you so much for joining us. If you're a Republican and you want to be on, let us know. We'd love to have you too, as long as you're not an asshole. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, stay woke or get woke. Cheers, love you. Bye.